Welcome to the Books on Air podcast. I'm Suzanne Harris, and my listeners get the story behind every book. Joining me today is a fascinating gentleman. His name is Dr. Anthony Emmett, and he's here to talk about his book, Healing, a Philosophy for the 21st Century. Dr. Emmett is really a fascinating person. He's not only an author, but he's a sculptor, a philosopher, and an artist, as well as a physician. He was formerly a clinical professor of surgery at the University of Queensland, Australia, and he was a plastic reconstructive surgeon at Wellington Hospitals, Royal Children's Hospitals, the Mater Adult and Children's Hospitals, and the Princess Alexandra Hospitals. When he retired, he retrained as an artist and a sculptor over a five-year period. He became an active student himself of history, philosophy, spirituality, and mysticism. He has a deep interest in healing and specific interest in the history of healing. I can't wait to talk to you, Dr. Emmett. Welcome to Books on Air. It's such a pleasure to have you. Thank you. You know, you're such an interesting man, and you and I were having such a wonderful conversation before we actually turned on the proverbial tape so that our listeners can hear us now. I want to explore some of the same areas that we were talking about, but I always have a curiosity about books. It came to me once that all books have two stories. They have the story that the author chooses to share with the reader, and that's the story that the reader always gets. But every book has a second story, and that second story is, why was the book written? How did the book come into being? Tell me about how healing, a philosophy for the 21st century, came into being. Well, after a life as a teacher and a surgeon, uh, doing reconstructive surgery, often congenital deformities, children born the wrong way, um, I have come to recognize the power of belief in healing. I saw this first. My father was a surgeon in the northern part of Australia, and he was an agnostic, but he had a very strong feeling that people needed to believe in the healing. And it works like this. Every cell in your body is separately alive and has a separate way of knowing. And when you believe that you are going to get better, that you are well, you send this belief to your cells, each of which is um, aware. And they... You, you know, every cell in your body is multiplying. You replace your body every seven years. And um, the, each of those cells has a way of knowing how you feel. If you are happy and well, you will transmit that message to your, the cells of your body and they will be happy and well. So that... Um, when you uh, wish to be well, you can be by the thoughts you hold in your mind. And most people don't realize that, and that's why I've written this book, 
because I want people to know that they have within their own ability, they can transform themselves. They can be well and they can be happy. Um, a lot of people don't know this. A lot of people don't remember it when you tell them. And that's why I put it in book form so that people can have a book that they can look these things up. And um, it's all so simple, really, you know. It's so simple and yet so complex, right? Well, yes, but much of life is like that. It's really what you make it. That's, um, I guess that's why we come into this life, to learn and to teach others. It's very important. Oh, I couldn't agree more. And one of the things that I picked up from your book was a story that I'm familiar with, and I don't know if our, our listeners will be familiar with it or not, but you tell a story that I think illustrates what you just said perfectly when you talk about Norman Cousins. Would you share that story with our listeners? Sure. Norman Cousins was a journalist who was in hospital with what was said to be an incurable disease. And he treated himself by looking at funny films for an hour or two every so often. And each time he looked at the funny film, he he got a little bit better. His blood sedimentation rate improved. And finally, he left hospital healed. And nobody understood why. But what he was doing was he was sending messages of happiness to his living cells, to his immune system. And they got the message and made him well. Um, but it's it's very simple because every cell is separately alive and you can influence them by what you hold in your mind. You know, the mind is like an iceberg. It's the 15% of you use in your conscious mind is only part of it. The rest of it is at your subconscious, your deeper conscious, the part you contact in sleep. And um, we really are much stronger than we believe because a lot of it is kept in the unconscious part of your mind. Now, have you also included, when you go through the book, and I, I believe I already know the answer to the question, but I want our listeners to hear this. You have studied philosophy and spirituality and mysticism. Have you also included some of those philosophical ideas in the book as well? Oh, yes, of course. It's it's very important. And, um, for example, take meditation. Um, you know that um, we each have DNA in the cells, and in there are strands in the DNA called telomeres. And um, Professor Elizabeth Blackburn, who got a Nobel Prize for describing telomeres and the telomerase we have, um, she showed that meditation improves the telomeres and will make you healthier. Um, in meditation, as you know, you uh, relax your mind and allow the unconscious mind you have within to come to you and to give you advice. Um, 
And there are lots of ways that we can, um, you, you know, um, we each form a self-image from childhood. That, that self-image we keep in our subconscious and it influences. Um, we, uh, the self-image is formed by the way our parents bring us up, what we're taught, the way they behave. But the self-image is terribly important. And I discovered in surgery the importance of the self-image, which influenced people in so many ways. You know, one of the things that I find so interesting about you is the fact that you do have this medical background, and not only is it a medical background, but it's an artistic medical background, because you if you'll pardon the expression, sort of recreated people and use that artistic bent that I hear as I talk to you in your work. And then when you finished with your work, you allowed yourself to become a student and you allowed yourself to start from, I suppose, scratch, only not really because of of the experience that you'd had all your life. Tell me about studying art and sculpture and how that has affected you and how the creativity that you already had has come out in your artistic endeavors. Well, you know, as you give yourself to a piece of art, as you work on it, your, your deeper consciousness comes into it and... This is part of the interpretation of art. This is why art is so important to the meaning of people. And we often don't understand what's happening, but the deeper unconscious part of our mind is the eternal part of us. And it relates to all these things, all this beauty, this wonder of this world that we live in, the beauty of a leaf just opening in spring, The whole thing, uh, we are surrounded by wonder and beauty. And to recognize this and to recognize the absolute privilege it is to have a life on earth, even though it's short, is um, something that art conveys in ways that um, are not conveyed in the conventional conversation. I agree. And I think that art, no matter what kind of art you're talking about, whether and you know, I'm a dancer, and we, we've talked about that briefly, but the creativity, I, I see dance in my mind all the time, especially when I hear classical music, I studied ballet, started teaching at 15. So I see that that dance. I see the music interpretation all the time. And I've always been so envious of people who can take that that thing that they see in their mind and execute it on canvas or execute it as a sculpture. And I've seen some of your work. Um, we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But when you're doing your your let's say your sculpture, because there was a head that I saw on, on the website that we're going to give later, that really captivated me. How does that work for you? Do you see do you see it in your head? Does it just come out your hands? How does that creative happen for you? Well, it happens actually in many different ways. 
sometimes in the inner screen of your mind, I will actually see what I want to create. And I then convert and my hand makes it. At other times, um, I'm simply playing with it and letting it happen. Because in the expression of art, your unconscious mind will come through when you just relax your conscious mind. Don't try too hard. Just let it happen, and it will occur. Because we all have that deeper uh, knowing in the part of the mind that is unconscious in the everyday, but it's who you really are. And um, art brings this out by... Um, these ways. For example, I was once uh, doing something else and on the inner screen of my mind appeared this sculpture. And so I, uh, I sketched it, then I made it in sandstone, and it currently sits out the, at the front of our local art society, uh, of which I'm the patron anyway. But but they chose to have this as their front sculptural art. Wow! Um, wow! I love it. There is no there is no single way that it happens. You can pick up a pencil and you can idly sketch something. It's a good exercise when you're sketching. Don't uh, rub anything out. Just keep your pencil moving and let it move and make shapes and forms, and you'll be amazed at what comes out. Um, At other times, you can deliberately set out to uh, draw a tree, a leaf, a bird, whatever. But don't restrict yourself to what you're seeing. Allow your imagination, which is your deeper self, to flow through and alter things. And and just keep going. It'll happen. It's lovely. Isn't that almost a form of meditation in itself? It is. It is. And, um, And that's a very important part of the process. Because we are more than we think we are. We, uh, we have in our unconscious mind the ability to do great things, and it's by believing that and letting it happen that it occurs. Oh, I'm enjoying our conversation so much. Let's give our listeners... And this is a a very difficult task I'm about to ask of you. Let's give them a a brief overview of what your book covers. I know that's a very difficult thing to ask you to do. No, I am attempting to show people that what they carry in their mind, in their conscious mind and their unconscious mind, has much more power than they believe, and they can create their own health and happiness by the thoughts that they carry and create. And the importance of love. You know, children learn love in the first two years of their life, and they file that in their subconscious, and it influences them every day. So what, and and it's the same with movement. Um, a baby is learning to move. It's learning to move its fingers. And, you know, it files that learned movement in its subconscious. 
Um, it's the same with the tennis stroke, the golf stroke, or a gymnast uh, doing backflips, or a diver from a high platform doing two twists and then going into the water. All of that has been learned and filed in the subconscious. Um, and then you call on it and it comes through and it delivers in a much faster way than your conscious mind could. Um, many people are aware of this, many are unaware of it, but what you hold in your unconscious mind is the power of your life. It's also the love, the beauty and the fascination. I just think this is so interesting. You also address, you talk about spirit guides and teachers and clairvoyance. Tell me a little bit about spirit guides. What's in your book? Well, um, we all have spiritual guides. You know, we're on this earth here for a relatively short time. But that's not the beginning of our life and it's not the end of it because we have been here before um, and we will be again. And each of us, you know, there are other dimensions around this. It's like frequency wavelengths on your radio. Um, we exist in several dimensions. We are a multi-dimensional creature. And the other dimensions are invisible. We're getting used in this civilization to invisible energies. What makes your mobile phone work, your cell phone? What makes all kinds of things work? It's the invisible energy. Well, there are other invisible energies around, and you have spirit guides. You may not know it. We all have them. Uh, among my spirit guides are people I've had previous lives with, and... Um, some fascinating creatures and what they advise and sometimes it's in sleep sometimes if you let yourself daydream um, but you are always with others though you may not see them but don't be afraid of that because it's all good and your friends are there to help you um Many of the authors that I interview, especially the fiction writers, will talk about something like that that occurs for them. They'll say, I don't know where the idea or the conversation or the characters came from. They just were there. And Precisely. They, yeah, and it's, it's almost that magical kind of thing. And it makes sense that there would be something there that's guiding us, that's helping us with that creativity and with that imagination. Yes. You should believe in the good in all things. You should keep that in your mind and you should have love in your mind. And you will be guided in these things by your friends who are there, but you can't see them, but they make themselves known, sometimes in sleep. Um, at one stage when I was researching spiritual healing, I woke up in the morning with the word epidarius in my mind, and I had no idea what that was. I looked it up in the encyclopedia on Wikipedia, and I found that epid uh, they call it Epidavros now. It's in the Peloponnese of southern Greece, 
and um, it's where the physician Hippocrates was said to have trained. And they used the power of suggestion much more in healing than we do. And what they would do is suggest to people that they were well. Now, if you believe you are well and you really believe that, it will come to pass. The mind is a much more powerful thing than most people realize. And this is one of the things I've tried to bring out in the book, is that in our mind, we are able to accomplish great things in this life, but we must first believe that it is so. The power of belief is enormously strong. I first saw that in my father when I was a child. Well, and you also have an illustration in your book that you tell a story about a young man that was a burn victim. And because so much of his body was damaged by burns, everyone assumed that he would just pass away. Would you tell that story? Yes. Uh, Well, uh, we... um We had uh, excised and skin grafted a large part of his body, and he actually, the burns were healing very well, but it was all just too much for him. He He was just, you could see he was dying. So we had his mother come in and live in the next room in the burns ward, and she was able to give him love. And that love turned him around. He stopped dying. He started recovering. Um, And he left hospital. He was rehabilitated. But, you know, the strongest medicine we could give him was the love. I couldn't agree more. I thought that that was such... I I like the two illustrations that I discovered, the Norman Cousins story and the story about the young man who was a burn victim. And I thought that both of those really illustrate what you're talking about in the book so well. Yes. Yes, love is the most powerful medicine we have. Um, it, It is... We don't understand it, of course. It's it's like um, it's like consciousness. It's like gravity. It's like it's one of the great forces in life. And um, if you give yourself to it and happily embrace it, it's wonderful. And and they say the best things in life are free, and that's what they're talking about. <laughs> Well, I'm sure that our listeners, if they've not been captivated, I can't imagine, because I am. I just think you and I could talk and talk and talk, because this is so interesting. I'd like to let our listeners know where they can find the book. Now, it is available on Amazon, and if you've never bought a book, excuse me, if you've never bought a book on Amazon, just put Amazon you can even put www if you if you choose in your browser and just click on it and their website comes up what you want to do is look for the long sort of a, a gray beige box and in that box you're going to type the title of Dr. Emmett's book and I'm going to give you that specific title and do some spelling for you the title of the book is healing colon a philosophy for the 21st Century by Dr. Dr. Period Anthony A-N-T-H-O-N-Y J.J. Emmett E-M-M-E-T-T. 
put that in your your browse your search feature click on it and the book will come up now if you look in the upper right hand corner of the representation of the cover you'll see two words it says look inside for the longest time i didn't understand what that meant all you have to do is put your cursor on those two words click and the book will open electronically and you can read a wonderful excerpt that will just pull you right into what Dr. Emmett is talking about. It's a really good excerpt. You'll want to buy the book immediately and you can get it right there on the Amazon website. Or Dr. Emmett, I believe it's available from your publisher. Who is your publisher? Um, the publisher is uh, Balboa Books. Probably if they just go to www.balboabooks or Balboa Press and put in your name, there it will be. But you also have several other books that you've written. Is that right? Uh, yes. I, I try to educate through writing as well as teaching uh, by word. And uh, I've written uh, a number of books about... Um, all kinds of things, really. <laughs> I, um, I'm also very interested in history, and w w I've done a book called The Path of History, and in it I describe diseases of rulers that have affected history. And it's a fascinating story also how um, that has affected people's lives and goes on affecting them. But if we should all believe in the good that is in all things, and that is what we come here to learn. Now, we've talked about your artwork. I think that I would like for you to tell our listeners where they could see some of your work, because you just, when I saw, I, I, the front page of this of the website that we're going to give them there uh, down in the right hand side there's a head that you just reached out I saw your hand reach out and grab hold of me and say look at this this is captivating I think they would be very interested in your work as well where can they see it um, it's at the uh, bdasgallery.com.au B-D-A-S. That's the Berrima District Art Society. Um, and I um, have been the patron of that society for many years, and I give a sculpture prize each year to encourage young sculptors to produce work and enter it. Wonderful. Now, you have an exhibition coming up, is that right? Um well, uh, I uh, that, that, no, we the exhibitions come and go very quickly, but my work is on their website, and you can uh, you can look at it. There, you know, all these websites get changed periodically, and um, I believe that's the case. Well, I for, I personally would encourage the listeners to um, go look at your work and to get a copy of the book. I always like authors are very passionate about their work. And I always think it's very important for the author to have the last word about their work, especially when it's as important as the work that we've discussed today. 
when the listeners become readers and they pick up a copy of Healing, a Philosophy for the 21st Century, this is not a book that you'll just sit down and read as if it were a novel. This is a book that you'll sit down, you'll read, you'll put it aside, you'll think about it, you'll go back to it, you'll read, you'll, you'll finally get to the last page, but not for a long time, because you'll be thinking about what's in the book. When they get to that last page and they read the last page and they close that back cover, what do you really want that reader to leave with? What's the bottom line message that you want to give them? That healing is something we all engage in. We heal ourselves, our cells multiply, but also we as a society need to think about healing the world. We've been chopping down forests for many centuries. There needs to be a balance between the human population and the bulk of forest, which renews the soil and renews the air. Um, You know, the, the leaf of a tree by photosynthesis creates oxygen from water. And um, also forests create clouds, clouds create rain. We need to regenerate the earth by the forests and the purifying of the air. And, but not only that, it's what you carry in your mind. You must carry in your mind that you want the world to be well and that we wish to recreate the beauty that sometimes we inadvertently destroy by all the things that we do as a society. So believe that you will heal the world as you heal yourself. That's what I'd like them to finish with. I love that. And I, too, have a special place in my heart for trees. It's uh, I can't believe people chop down so many, and they're living beings and it just it breaks my heart when i when i think about what's going on as far as i am a tree hugger as it were so when you said that we'd not even talked about that you took me by surprise i i fully agree with you completely i have enjoyed our discussion so very much and i want to thank you for being my guest on books on air it's just been a pleasure thank you suzanne now remember You can find Dr. Emmett's book, Healing, a Philosophy for the 21st Century, by Dr. Anthony J. Emmett on Amazon. You've been listening to the Books on Air podcast brought to you on webtalkradio.net. You can also hear this podcast on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. I'm Suzanne Harris, and I so hope that you'll join me for our next Books on Air podcast, because remember, you never know who's going to be here, and you never know what we're going to talk about. Thank you so very much for listening.